to Nats Talk on the Go, the longest-running Washington Nationals podcast going today. This podcast is proudly brought to you by our supporters club, Nats Talk on the Go, Special Ops. Now, here are your hosts, Joe Drugan and Craig McHenry. Joe and Craig, let's do it. Well, hello there, Nats Talk on the Go listeners. We have a more fun storyline for you after game two, and you will notice that by my voice that I was there and cheering. Joe was definitely there. I was definitely not. Uh, and it's now a 1-1 even series going to L.A. for game three on Monday afternoon. Yeah, the, this is a weird thing because with the ridiculous rain delay postponement situation on Saturday, um, now the Nationals and the Dodgers, I mean, I guess the, the good part of this is it's, it's an even situation, except for the fact that the Dodgers are going home and the Nationals are going to a hotel. But other than that, it's, it's pretty evenly matched with the terrible travel situation. Well, I don't think anyone's going home. Even the Dodgers. Yeah, you're I mean, probably the right. Game, the game's at 1 p.m. local time. That's true. Good point. That's true. It's four, it's so, four on, the, in, on the East Coast. But, so uh, they're hopping on a plane, uh, and so they're going to land in L.A. It'll be, know. you know, a little after midnight here. So so they're, they might go home, I guess, yeah, for but, five hours. Yeah, not for, not for too long with a 1 o'clock local start. That's a good, yeah. good point. Didn't think about that. Yeah, won't make too much difference. So uh, not a lot of home field advantage for uh, for them in Game 3, which is really going to benefit the Nationals, you think, because they're going to be struggling just as much, and they're coming off um, a pretty – I mean, I'm not, it wasn't heartbreaking, but uh, pretty defeating 5-2 to two loss against the Nationals where they did a lot of things wrong. The Dodgers what, did a lot of things wrong. They did a lot of things wrong, especially with as well as Rich Hill pitched early. I mean, with when he struck out the side in the first inning, it was like, uh-oh. I think he had seven strikeouts through three, uh, which I believe was a Dodgers record. Yes, he did have seven. You're correct. Yeah, yeah, which is a Dodgers record for uh, strikeouts through three innings or something like and, that. And Rich Hill's not known for like striking out a lot of guys. He, no. He's not a strikeout pitcher. He's he's a Tanner Roark type. I mean, that's a comp that's been that was happening a lot as the two were going to be facing each other. Um, yes, and if you uh, stay tuned to uh, at Craig Mack on Twitter, I'm going to uh, go into a little bit of that uh, on Sunday night uh, on Chris Cuccioni's strike zone. Ah, yeah. The, so I, being where I was sitting, I had no view of the strike zone at all. I could only go off of what people were you know, texting me about or talking about on Twitter. It seemed pretty universal from both sides that the strike zone was really bad. The strike zone was pretty abysmal. Um, and it clearly was benefiting Rich Hill and his Frisbee curveballs. Right. Um, there were some really, really terrible, terrible calls. I'm not sure whether it was Rich Hill or whether it was Yasmani Grandal. I tend to think it was more Rich Hill than anything else. Yeah, um, because Charlie and Dave were talking about it. I was listening to the radio broadcast a little bit at the ballpark in and out um, when the crowd wasn't so loud I couldn't hear the radio broadcast. Um, but they were kind of talking about how the way that his ball kind of moves across the strike zone and moves across the plate can be really confusing for a home plate umpire because it has so much side-to-side movement that it could be you know, seen as a strike when it isn't or vice versa. Just because... It ends in the catcher's glove a lot closer to home plate than where it crosses the plate. Exactly, exactly. Yes, no question. A lot like we talked about when uh, Steven Strasburg first came up to the majors. Right. Where 
uh, umpires were not prepared. And uh, it's pretty clear that uh, Guccione was ill prepared for this job uh, today. And we're going to get into that a little bit uh, on my uh, Twitter timeline later. Nice. So stay yeah. tuned for that. Tune in to uh, the Craig Mack for that. Yeah, so Rich Hill dominated the Nationals early, but they were able to uh, get to him a little bit uh, with unlikely hero. Yeah, unlikely hero, Jose Lovatone. Unlikeliest of heroes. Yeah, I, I actually was talking to some people before the game uh, about Jose Lovatone starting and how it was, you know, especially with the day off yesterday, it was surprising to me that Lobaton was starting. I thought that, that might be like, okay, well, then we'll get Severino another start. It might have been a Roark, a situation where Roark was like, I want to pitch to Lobaton. Um, it's entirely possible that was the case, but also Dusty had, yeah, I would say that's more, the, more than likely the case because uh, Dusty Baker said he wasn't making any changes to the lineup after the rainout yesterday. Right. Uh, Saturday, Which would have been the perfect time to do it. Right. Um, but yeah, when, when, when I saw that, so when you see that situation come about with, you know, Daniel Murphy being Daniel Murphy, who was three for three today with a walk, um, because he's Daniel Murphy and then Danny Espinosa being hit by a pitch in his second consecutive at bat, uh, to have Jose Lobaton come up with in a two out situation and he killed that ball. Right. I mean, that was – Jason Worth talked about it a little bit after the game, and some other people did too. I mean, that was into the wind, and it was a no-doubter. I mean – The wind was a nightmare. Yes, it was. In uh, particularly left field today. And yes. I know you're going to say some glowing things about Jason Worth today, and we've got a lot of left field specific things to talk about um, in our yeah, brief show right. tonight. Good point. Good point. Um, but – into the wind, Jose Lobatone of all people who has not had a right-handed at bat in a month and a half. Yeah, which is crazy. Who has had one home run against a left-hander all year, uh, also against a Dodger. Oh, really? Um, who was it? I think it, I want to say it was Scott Casimir. Oh, nice! Wow. Um, Forgot that he yeah. them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so. Crazy that it was Jose Lobatone. It got over the wall. It was crushed. Uh, it was amazing. He was pumped. Took the Nationals from an 0-2 deficit to a 3-2 lead that they would not relinquish. Of all people to do something, it was Jose Lobatone, and that's that's awesome. And you could see how much it meant to him. And if you, uh, I know you probably missed it uh, because you were at the park, but his post game uh, press conference and media availability, he was. All he wanted to do was talk about Wilson Ramos. Oh, gosh, of course. That's just yeah. gives me all the chills. And uh, all anyone else wanted to do was talk about Jose Lopetone. Right, and he was like, nah, I'm good. Yeah. Uh, the, the thing that makes it, that, that whole situation so cool is it, that home run changed the whole dynamic in the ballpark being there. I mean, the, the crowd atmosphere, again, today was great. But after, you know, the offense couldn't get anything done through three innings. And like you said, Rich Hill struck out seven guys in three innings, and he's not a strikeout pitcher. And, you know, the early home run given up by Roark, it was just like, not again. Are you kidding me? It was, you know, people were optimistic, and they were trying to get, get into it over and over again. But after that, the atmosphere just never changed after that moment. It, the it ballpark just... exploded. They've been looking for a, a reason to explode for two games. It and... exploded to the point that there was a curtain call for a home run that put a team ahead in the fourth inning. 
Yeah. You know, because it was just the, the, the fans wanted it so bad. I mean, they just it wanted it so bad. Fourth inning or was it fifth inning? Fourth inning. Fourth inning, okay. Yeah, bottom of the fourth. Yeah, it was uh, it was incredible. I know you had uh, sent me a message at that point that it was unlike anything you had seen in the park since uh, Steven Strasburg's debut. Yeah, it in was, terms of crowd atmosphere, the atmosphere was awesome. I, I, the people around me were great. Even the Dodgers fans were great. I mean, it was just a really, really fun postseason atmosphere. The, the was, there was so much uh, organic cheering and chanting, and you know, high fiving across rows and across fans, people that didn't know each other. It was just like that kind of cool thing. I mean, there was a similar situation um, <clears throat> to when we were there for the Scherzer no hitter, but that the Scherzer no hitter was, was so angsty. That it was a yeah. little bit, it was just a little bit different. It was just like sitting on, you know, on eggshells or it was just a whole different thing. Walking on eggshells, it was just different. But absolutely, um, it, it, it was just totally electric. It was awesome. Um, That's wonderful. That's yeah, wonderful. It was really great. Um, but speaking of left field, since we were talking about that a little bit, uh, I just want to point out being out where I was, like I was kind of sitting on the third base line in left field, um, the left field area on the third base line. First of all, Jason Worth made a ridiculous number of plays today out in left field because the nature of the left-handed lineup um, for the Dodgers, they were just slicing a lot of balls to left field, a lot of low line drive balls. Jason Worth made some incredible plays on those balls, not only with the wins, not only with the slicing line drives, um, with the sun moving around. I mean, he... uh, I never felt uncomfortable with him making a play out there, and I don't think we could have always said that. He was he had a beat on everything and with the way that he had played throughout the game. And then after he got that double in the seventh inning and came out back out to left field uh, in between innings, the, all of the fans at all of those sections in left field, both in the outfield and on the third base side gave him a standing ovation. And he kind of tipped the cap and did kind of like a, like a fun hop. And like, you could tell he was like jacked up about the fact that he was making a, a huge impact in the game, both defensively and offensively. Um, and uh, it, it was just, it was cool to see that moment for him. Uh, and in a, a position on the field where it was just about as hard as it could possibly be given the conditions in left field. Yeah. And uh, Jason Worth was fantastic. He, y- you hit the nail on the head. He looked incredibly comfortable. A ton of credit also has to go to uh, the Nationals advanced scouting team and Davey Lopes. He was in perfect position all game long. He knew exactly what the Dodgers were planning on doing, and he was played perfectly all game. Yeah, you're absolutely uh, right. He he didn't have to make a lot of uh, ugly moves towards the ball uh, you're right. at all. There were uh, there were a few times where he was playing uh, with left-handed batters up, playing v- with the wind and a left-handed batter, just insanely shallow. Um, and it and it worked out every time. I mean, it was never a like, oh, he was poorly positioned. They they were clearly ad- adjusting based on wind and hitter and everything. Yeah, so I, I thought it was an absolutely fantastic uh, game by uh, by Jason Worth out there. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, and there were other plays in left field as well that I know you kind of want to. Yeah, definitely. Uh, specifically, I know there was a little bit of uh, back and forth I had with a couple folks. Uh, regarding the Bryce Harper tag from third uh, on a shallow fly ball. I guess we can call it a fly ball. I'm trying to remember who hit it. Uh, You have it in front of you, I'm sure. Yeah, it was Rendon. Uh, Off of Rendon. Um, 
where Bryce Harper tagged and was thrown out. I think it was absolutely the right call to send Bryce Harper there. Um, uh, the reasons are as follows. I think uh, Howie Kendrick, he's a second baseman by trade, right. not an outfielder, not a great arm. You don't have a great arm at second base. It's very, very, very rare. Um, Dan Espinosa being a notable exception until this year. Be- because he was a shortstop, yeah. Exactly. I mean, usually you're moved to second base because you don't have an arm for shortstop. Right. Not because there's an incumbent shortstop. Exactly. Uh, so uh, that's, an, that's one reason. Uh, if you saw his route at all towards the ball, he had no idea. Yeah. It was a Nook Logan-esque route towards the ball. It was zigzag. It was terrible. And it just looked like there was no way he was going to catch the ball with any sort of means to plant and throw. What, that, that play was right in front of me, directly in front of where I was sitting. Not only did I think that it was not going to be a play where he could easily make a throw, I didn't think it was going to be caught. I thought it was dropping. Up until the very last second, he adjusted and made the catch and then made a very good throw. But, yeah, I mean, you give, give credit uh, to Kendrick Words, do. He made a very good throw on a, in, an incredibly poorly played ball. Um, I also, we were texting back and forth a little bit during the game, and we were both like, I said immediately, I was like, yeah, you got to make that send. And then you were like, actually, some people on Twitter, or quite a few people on Twitter are saying you can't make that send. And I was like, uh, really? <laughs> I mean, I just don't, it was, yes, it ended up being much shallower than it looked. So I understand the argument that, yeah, Kendrick ended up coming in an extra 15 or 20 feet from where he, you expected him to catch it, which would have been the difference. If he had caught it 10 feet further back, Harper would have been safe. But, yeah, definitely. But, and uh, you're also looking at a relief pitcher who just came in the game, who's throwing 98 miles an hour, who just induced two straight weak pop-ups. Exactly. Yeah, that, that's also an extremely good point. And um, I, I just think with the adjustment and the fact that, yeah, he ended up coming in shallower to catch it, but he also had to make some pretty terrible adjustments in order to be able to catch it. You have to, if you're Bob Henley, go... Okay, well, he he's coming in on it. He's he's not catching, getting under it. He's not making the catch he wants to. The odds of him coming up and making a perfect throw are pretty low. Harper's fast. Let's see what happens. And I, you know, I I really don't disagree with the send there. Yeah, I think it was a good send. I disagree with him not sending Turner Bingo. earlier. That that ended up not causing causing any pain at all. So it's, right. I don't want to spend too much time on it. Right. But that was a not sending Turner when on uh, Harper's. Uh, hit was was it Harper's hit? No, yeah, Mur- it was Harper. Murphy. It was Harper. Yes, it was Harper. You're right. Not sending Turper uh, Turner P- Turper Turner on uh, Turper Turper. On I, I'm combining Harpers. Words. Turner on Harper's hit was a huge mistake. I, I, Trey Turner is the fastest player in baseball. You can't not send him in that situation. Like I get that there are, at the time there are no outs and you don't want to give anything up, but. You also don't, with the way the game is going at that point, you can't guarantee that you're going to be able to move a guy another base. You just don't know that at that situation. If it was anybody else on the team, I agree with the no send. But it's Trey Turner. You have to make that send. You yeah, have always. to. You, Trey Turner should always be scoring from second base. Trey, always. Trey Turner's speed has scared literally every fielder in baseball thus far. Yes, agreed. We've seen just about every solid fielder make some sort of misstep uh, on Trey Turner's speed so far. 
Yeah, you have yeah. to challenge guys in those situations when it's going to be close like that in a playoff game. You got to get you got to get runs. It didn't end up being a big deal, but uh, when in doubt, run Trey Turner. <laughs> that Absolutely, is, that is kind of the rule. I feel like. Yep. Yeah. So uh, let's see other other notables. Uh, Trey Turner got some hits today. Yeah, finally, finally got on the board with a, with two hits and a stolen base, which shouldn't be of any surprise. Yep, he looked good. Uh, Zimmerman. Uh, look decent as well again. Yep, had a one, had a one for three with a walk. So I mean, one for three I, I with think a walk, which is fantastic. Pretty great. His on base percentage, I believe, at this point, uh, it might have dropped to around five hundred or just below. But I yeah, mean, he's getting on base a lot through two games, small sample size, but kind of what Craig talked about and predicted before the the series started, which is awesome. Uh, Tanner Roark, um, days off, too many, too much time off. I think, uh, I think, got him. I, I really think the difference between him. Him mentally expecting to start until an hour before yesterday's game and then having a whole extra day, uh, yeah, that makes a difference. I mean, it, guys get in rhythms. It makes a difference. You can't, can't pretend like it doesn't. But Yeah, I would, th- I, I would say that's probably pretty right. And, and the, bull, the bullpen was nails. They gave up no runs again. I mean, it, it, this is exactly with the <clears throat> bullpen that was constructed by Dusty Baker. Uh, first of all, he did exactly what he should have done with his left-handed pitching. Using, Dusty Baker was phenomenal today. Yeah, in in every way, and yes. everything that he did was right all game, and it, I mean, it was awesome. Yeah, I uh, just his his bullpen use was you know yeah I've got three left-handed pitchers I know these guys are bad against left-handed pitching I'm going to use all of them, and he did yep. and he used them well in the right situations he picked a great spot for Blake Trinan Trinan was awesome um, gave up nothing and had two strikeouts in an inning and a third. So, uh, yeah, I mean, everything that Dusty did today managerially was perfect. It's (laughs) really nice to see that Dusty Baker, uh, as old school a reputation as he has, he has absolutely not lived up to that uh, thus far. In that uh, I believe Zepchinski pitched, I believe he came out, Two different times to like, warm up. Sat, yeah, no, I believe he sat twice. I came out uh, end of an inning, pitched a full inning, and then they, came back out. Yeah, I think you're right. He did actually. Yeah, I think about it. Uh, he it wasn't like pitch an inning and you're out. Pitch one inning. Like most of the time, you see your relievers go one inning and don't come in and then sit down and come back out. And you then don't I, see a lot of that. A really tough situation with uh, with Sammy Solis. Sammy Solis came in, and then some things happened in the sixth inning, I believe. And it ended up getting around to, oh, yeah, uh, Zim got a hit. And so it got around to the pitcher spot. And Dusty made a really difficult call to hit Heisey. It didn't really wor- it didn't work out. It didn't work, but it was the absolute right, it was, right call. It was the right call in a one-run game. It's the decision you have to make, and, and that's the right decision. You can't say, well, he's a lefty, so I need him to go out, so I'm going to have Sammy Solis hit. You can't do that. So, it was, I mean, everything he did, it was just right decision after right decision. And I think that one's actually going to uh, help out a lot more because I want to say Solis might have only even thrown one pitch. He, he threw a third of an inning. I don't know what it ended up being, but it was a third of an I mean, he threw. He got one out. That was it. Yeah, he got one. He, he only got one out. Yeah. Um, I want to say it was only on one pitch. That might be true. I don't have a pitch um, count, so. Yeah, but uh, Zepchinski is not available tomorrow for sure. Yeah, you would have to imagine. Uh, Solis, he's got the ability to go multiple innings, and – if he only threw to one batter, he's definitely available to go, uh, and he can go 
much more length tomorrow. And, I know, and Perez, too. I know that uh, Oliver Perez was warming up earlier in the game when Roark was having some troubles and sat down and came back up. But he still only threw two-thirds of an inning today as well. So you'd have to imagine he would be available, not for long relief, you would imagine, since he was up earlier in the game. But definitely not. He, you would imagine that he would be available as well. So you'll have two lefties available. Uh, Melanson had a day off yesterday, so he'll almost certainly be available on Monday. Um, I think the Nationals, Trinan will not, will probably not be as well. So it'll be interesting to see how they go forward and uh, and figure out the, figure out how they're going to construct the lineup with the kind of the unexpected not off day today. It's going to change yep. how they how they act on uh, on Monday. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's definitely changed the series, but I think it's changed the series in the Nationals' favor. Yeah, I think winning today in the way in which they did it certainly changes it into a, a favorable situation for the Nationals. I mean, you still have Gio Gonzalez going uh, in Game Three, so you'll be—it'll be interesting to see. We talked about it earlier, uh, and let's talk, let's preview that a little bit. I know that mm-hmm. Gio Gonzalez—we—you um, kind of predicted that he was going to be, you know, just a good enough Gio Gonzalez. Do you still feel that way? I feel even more that way right now. Yeah, it, it looks. It really does look like the Dodgers just can't help hit left-handed pitching, and I think the Dodgers can't hit left-handed pitching. And I think the team confidence uh, is going to help Geo. And I think um, how what was it last year? We saw Lobatone essentially as Geo's kind of BFF and kind of personal catcher. Yeah, uh, I think having his buddy do something amazing today is really going to put a charge into him that I think he needs, and I think that is going to lift him up. And I think Gio needed that little personal lift. And I think for someone like him, that's going to make the world of difference, and I think that's going to carry through to tomorrow. And I think that's going to put him over the edge and really get him going and help him turn in a really good performance. I, I uh, The one thing I think you need to look at with Gio Gonzalez going into Monday's start is – how many walks does he give up? That that's the one. If you see uh, Gio Gonzalez start in which he gives up like two walks, he had a really good game. Maybe even three walks, he had a really good game. Uh, it's just going to be about if he is he able to hit the strike zone with consistency. If he can do that, I don't think the Dodgers could hit left-handed pitching enough. Uh, and I think that it, that's definitely a net game for the Nationals for sure. Yep. Uh, all right. Anything else you want to hit on before we wrap up this uh, game two recap of Nats Talk on the Go? I'm good. All right. Well, thank you guys for tuning in to uh, episode 139 of Nats Talk on the Go. We'll be with you after game three, uh, hopefully after a Nationals win. Go Nats. Thanks for listening to Nats Talk on the Go. For more information, check us out at natstalkonthego.com. To become a supporting member of the podcast, click on the special ops link at the top of the page or head right to natstalkonthego.com slash special ops. You can contact the guys at natstalkonthego on Twitter or send them an email at podcast at natstalkonthego.com. If you like what you heard, take a minute to review the podcast on iTunes and help us spread the word. See you next time. Let's go Nats!